0: Hey, thank you for listening. Did you know I have a YouTube channel? I have over 130 different videos. I have videos with more scary stories told in the rain, scary stories by a crackling fire, and I also have videos that are less relaxing and more on the scary side. Go check it out, and please don't forget to subscribe. In the YouTube search bar, just type being scared. All right. Catch you later. This takes place four years ago in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm originally from California, so trading up city life for a less urban life was very challenging for me. Making friends was hard, but I made the move to be with my dad, who lived in an apartment complex with a roommate. My dad was a trucker, so he was gone for weeks at a time, while I was left alone to work and come home to a foreign place that I was slowly becoming accustomed to. My roommate was gone most of the time because he had a girlfriend and he would leave his dog with me so I never really felt truly alone. I had an old lady for a neighbor that would come and check on me too. That's how people were in that area and I found it kind of nice how people knew their neighbors. I got to know everyone in my building's name after about six months of living there, except one. There was a man, I'd say in his early to mid-fifties, who lived directly below my apartment. He looked, for lack of a better description, like a creep. He was balding, except for on the sides of his head. He was tall and kind of skinny, and had outdated nineties glasses that you would see on America's Most Wanted, and a thick moustache. He was the only person in the building who wasn't friendly, or at least, didn't make the effort to say hello or introduce himself to me. He also happened to be the maintenance man for all five buildings. I didn't think much of this at first. I honestly don't care if you're not overtly friendly to me. I enjoy having space of my own, and sometimes being too friendly is suspicious to me. That's just a personal problem but I'm explaining why it didn't send up any red flags at first. One day, when I was pulling out from the driveway to go to work in the morning, I noticed across the large lawn that led to the door of our buildings, the maintenance man was standing in the center, staring directly at me. Stare is the wrong word. More like a glare. At first, I looked around, confused thinking perhaps he was looking at someone or something else behind me. I was the only one there. Although a bit creeped out, I shrugged it off and continued with my day, forgetting all about it. The next day, I was over at my neighbor Claire's apartment, the older lady, and she happened to bring up a maintenance issue she had, but mentioned she would never ask that maintenance man for anything, and neither should I. I tried to ask her more about what she meant by that, but she ended up being very broad and said something along the lines of, He's just a known creep around here. Fast forward to the first incident. It was around 2am and I was still awake, but only barely, sitting on the couch watching Parks and Rec alone in my apartment. I was starting to drift off into sleep when I heard a soft noise near the front door. Thankfully, the show was very low in volume, because normally, I don't pick up on quiet noises most of the time. I turned off the TV and began listening. Next to the living room on the right side is the patio area, and on the left is the kitchen and front door. The light from the moon and outside lamps were flooding through the patio glass door, so I could see the doorknob to the front door moving, not just moving, but someone was using a key, in an instant the door flung open and I was on my feet, with nowhere to hide at that point, I stood my ground and saw the silhouette step into the kitchen, that's when I saw, it was the maintenance man, my stomach dropped and he stopped dead in his tracks when he spotted me, looking as if it was unexpected to find me awake. I noticed he had a large coat on, even though it wasn't winter or even cold that particular night. I noticed that only because the jackets looked bulky, as if he were carrying things in it, that I couldn't see. What are you doing? was all I managed to squeak out. I was shaking, my knees feeling like they were going to give out. For reference... I was a 22-year-old woman standing a whopping 5'4", with no way to defend myself at all from where I was standing. He looked shocked, which made me feel like I had gained a little power from the situation. He retorted confusedly and angrily with, Ugh, your toilet is making a loud noise that I could hear from my bedroom. I was angry and terrified. So you just let yourself into my apartment at two in the morning? I'm reporting this to management first thing in the morning. He stepped closer to me then. I backed up a few steps, but still stood my ground, quickly turning on the light closest to me so he could see my fury. The toilet is rumbling. I need to check it now. Now I was trembling so hard I could barely stand. I had adrenaline and anger and fear all coursing heavily through my body. Get out! He started to take the liberty to look around the kitchen where he was standing. My head immediately thought, Oh no, what if he goes for a knife? And that's when he said it. I can come in whenever I want. The sentence makes me shiver to this day. I didn't know what to do, and felt the power over the situation quickly dwindling down to a bad feeling that something bad was going to happen. If you don't get out of my apartment right now, I'm going to start screaming as loud as I can. My voice was cracking and shaky, which made my heart drop into my stomach. I immediately felt like I was going to be sick when he took yet another step towards me check the lease. I can come in whenever I want. I'll see you later." He winked at me, creating a wave of nausea, and I felt faint. He slowly turned around and walked out, closing the door behind him and even going far enough as to lock it from the outside with his extra key. The next day, I contacted management as soon as their office opened, I could tell the conversation wasn't going anywhere, when the manager sounded irritated right off the bat. When I told her that the guy entered my apartment illegally, she cut me off and told me that they do not allow any illegal activity and take what I was saying very seriously. I thought to myself, yes, I've got him, until the manager said, you can't just throw around accusations without proof. This man has dedicated over 20 years to working for this company, and we don't plan on getting rid of him anytime soon. Perhaps if you had read over your lease, like you should have, you would have seen the clause that states that a maintenance worker has keys to the entire property, and if there is a maintenance issue, they are permitted to access the property at any time of day. This floored me. It couldn't possibly be legal. Of course, I'm from California, And of course, I didn't read the lease carefully. When I moved there, my dad was already living in the apartment, and I literally had nowhere else to go, so if I were to be living there, I was going to have to sign the lease no matter what. So I did. Needless to say, nothing got done. Fast forward again. A few days go by, and I don't see Mr. Maintenance Freak. Until I do. This time... I'm pulling in after a long 10-hour shift at work. I haven't forgotten about this scary incident, but I had to put it in the back of my mind for the time being to concentrate on other things, although I lost sleep over it. I park my car facing the large lawn area again and start using my phone for a few minutes. I'm peering down at my phone and glance up for a split second before I see him there, He is standing across the lawn, staring angrily at me again, I mean furious. I quickly look back down and pretend to not have seen him, getting that sinking feeling again. As a paranoid person, I put the key in the ignition just in case and pretended to keep scrolling on my phone while subtly locking my door. I glance up again, and this time, he is walking towards me very fast. I look in my rear view mirror, hoping to see someone else that he may be stomping angrily towards, and of course, no one is there. It's nearly dark now, but when he gets about 10-15 to 15 feet away, I can hear him shouting something, but I can't make out what he's saying. Now I put my phone down, and I am watching him come right at me until he reaches my window and starts banging on it with all his might and slams his body into the door. He's also fidgeting angrily with the handle, even though the doors are locked. My car doesn't have automatic locks, so I'm praying that all of my doors are locked at this point. My hands are shaking so bad that I'm having trouble starting the car. When I finally do, I realize what he's saying, which was a repeated cycle of the following phrases. I am going to kill you. I'm going to get you. I told you, I can come in whenever I want. I peeled out of there so fast, not even knowing where to go. I drove to the next county over, found a motel, and stayed the night there. The next day, I took work off and went straight to the management's office. I told them exactly what happened, and no matter what I said, they didn't believe me. This maintenance man was apparently God's gift to mankind or something. He was a monument to the company, and they appreciated his 20 years of service and dedication to them over him risking someone's life with threats. Long story short, I lost it. I called her psychotic and ended up getting evicted. I reported all of this to the police, but between the lack of evidence I had and his perfect record, and his shining references from his employers that seemed to love him, the police said there was nothing they could do to move forward at that point. My dad and I ended up finding a nice home about 10 minutes away from that place. I ended up inviting Claire, my older neighbor, to the new house a few months later. She told me that there was a single woman in the apartment before the roommate and my dad had moved in there and that she also left in a hurry after something happened with the maintenance man taking photos of her, walking to and from her apartment to her car. When she confronted him about it, he told her, I can do whatever I want. I guess in Kansas City, maintenance workers are like God. They get away with whatever they want and have shining reputations. Needless to say, it's been four years and I'm back in California. The creepiest thing that ever happened to me only lasted a few seconds. I was eight years old, and my brother was six. It was summer, and we were sitting alone in the back of my grandmother's car. This was because she had to quickly buy some eggs or something so she parked on the side of the road right in front of a small grocery store and left us inside the car. I suppose she thought we would be alright since she was only gone for a minute and the locked car was only a few feet away from the store door. She had only been gone for a few seconds when a tall man stopped next to the car window, bent down and looked inside at us. My brother and I were confused because we didn't know him, so we just stared at him. He then slowly reached his arm through the car window while staring into my eyes. This confused me even more and I remember thinking that maybe he was going to remove an insect or fix something inside the car since what he was doing wasn't making any sense. Instead, he very lightly laid the tip of his index finger on my thigh. I was wearing a sundress and being a little kid Hadn't really noticed that it hiked up my leg as I sat. He just left his finger there, unmoving, for a couple of seconds, staring into my eyes with his mouth half open. I remember that he was missing teeth. It really didn't last long at all, but it felt like an eternity. Then he pulled his arm away and briskly walked away. My grandmother came back a few seconds after that. I wanted to pretend the whole incident had never happened and didn't want to mention it to her, but my brother told her. She asked us for a description, but all we could come up with was a tall man that was missing teeth. And unfortunately, there were way too many people in the neighborhood who fit that description. I felt a little nauseous for the rest of the day and most of the next. The orange sundress I was wearing that day Was my favorite, but I never wore it again. And when my mom asked me whether she could give it away, I was very quick to say, Yes. This encounter was not too long ago and solidified in my mind why I will always close the blinds at night and why. Even in a quiet suburban neighborhood, you should always lock your door. I've been reading creepy stories online since I was about 12 years old, and when I first discovered Reddit, creepypastas, no sleep, and of course, let's not meet. So, I have long since taken to checking all windows and locks before I go to bed, and closing blinds and curtains for fear I might look out to see some creep in a clown costume with a knife in my garden, or a child with their head at an unnatural angle. I always sort of wished I had a creepy encounter so I could write about it, but if I never have another experience like this for the rest of my life, it will be too soon. So context, this nice suburban neighborhood, as I say, is home of my parents, a little town in Cheshire, England. Quiet street where we all know each other, low crime rate except one house which has been heavily burglared twice in about ten years, both opportunistic. Once because the keys were near the door and the invaders smashed a small pane to reach them and let themselves in. The other time they had left their blinds open overnight, leaving their laptops, wallets, and both car keys on full display. I don't live with my parents anymore, but I was back in town and staying with them for a few days over summer. I was sitting in the kitchen, which faces onto the street, and working on my laptop, just glancing up occasionally to watch people pass by walking dogs or strolling with a pram. I had seen something moving in my peripheral, so, like every time, I looked up, hoping to see a dog walker or one neighbor and her newborn grandson. Nope. Two people, a man in a semi-casual suit, and a woman in plain jeans and a blouse, but they were moving weirdly. The woman had her head craned over to one of her shoulders, and her arm on that side was bent backwards and unnaturally upwards, with her hand rhythmically flicking Her other arm randomly, but smoothly glided about, guided by her elbow. It was a bit like when you try to push two magnets together at the same point of polarity. That's how I would describe it. I have friends with epilepsy, and I had never seen them contort or flick like that. Not even their myoclonic jerks. The man looked more like one of those dancing inflatables you see at used car dealerships. That's the only way I could describe his movements. They walked past my parents' house, and I instinctively called to my cat, checking to see that he wasn't outside with those weirdos. I found him upstairs in my old room. He was looking out of the window, and as I followed his gaze, I see two of the kid neighbors in the double burglared house waving across to me from their parents' upstairs bedroom window. I went downstairs to tell my parents about the strange moving people and my dad just furrowed his brow, asked if they were gone, and said to double check that the door was locked. I headed back to the kitchen to check our back door was locked. This door doesn't have any windows in it, so you can understand I jumped out of my skin when, as I put my hand on the door handle, it was pushed down from someone on the other side. I push on the door immediately before anyone can push it from outside. I also screamed because I could hear my dad call back. I hear his footsteps coming through the house. Then, I hear a loud gasp on the other side of the door and out of the kitchen window. Guess who I see making a retreat? The creepy moving guy and girl. By the time my dad makes it through the house, they're gone. He doesn't seem to believe me, although he doesn't seem doubting either. These people were gone. I don't sleep well. And those scary stories I read meant that I always listened to the excessive creaking in this house, and noises on the street outdoors at night, like people walking home drunk. Most of the sounds are quiet enough, so imagine my shock when my straining ears are suddenly attacked by a child's scream. It takes me a second to locate the sound, and another to lurch from my bed to the window looking straight over to the upstairs window, the same one where, not 12 hours ago, my neighbor's children were waving to me from. I scanned down the house and saw their front door wide open. I shouted to my parents, hoping to wake them up as I flew down the stairs in my PJs with 999 already dialed on my phone to report this likely home invasion before I do anything else. I'm remembering to scream fire, not burglar, as I stride across the road, attempting to wake the other neighbors and gather support en masse. There are two kids and a teenager in that commonly burglared house, kids who I babysat for 10 years, and one of them just screamed at 2am when their front door is wide open. I make sure I say this out loud to the emergency responder on the phone. As I near the door, I can see a figure inside moving frantically, so after telling the phone responder what is happening and answering their brief questions, I shout into the door from a safe distance some phrases the police gave me to say. The police are on their way, we are right outside and we are getting help, is anyone hurt? And to tell the intruders, we know you are there, please do not hurt anyone, the police can help you. I get a response from the upstairs window and step back into the road to see the mother holding all three kids in her arms, and she tells me the middle child, who is nine, found intruders on the stairs when she went to get a drink in the night. The girl, Imogene, tells me they're like clowns. Clowns? This extra detail is the straw that broke the camel's back, and my vision darkened. I'm going to pass out. I came to in the middle of the road with a foil blanket on and a soft Octonauts toy under my head. I could see lots of blue lights, three police cars, and an ambulance. And I can see my neighbors out of the corner of my eye. My hearing returns as Imogene tells me her little brother volunteered his toy because I hit my head when I fainted. Suddenly I'm up and looking around to count all five of the family members and checking for injury. Over the top of their heads, I can see an arm frantically waving in and out of view. Yep, moving weirdos broken into my neighbor's house. I see the woman is standing still, her head still slumped to the side. Just as she's lowered into the police car, I was later told that as I spoke to my neighbors out their bedroom window, their dad had gone to fight the intruders, and kicked the woman down the stairs as she was climbing them. The man was the frantically moving shadow I had seen from the doorway. Police reckoned they had been trying doors down our street and found one unlocked. I told them about the couple trying our door earlier in the afternoon. I'm guided to the ambulance and sat on the bed whilst the paramedics tend to a large cut on the back of my head from my fall. I vaguely feel them removing gravel, cleaning, gluing and dressing it, but I'm preoccupied, watching two police try to contain the human dancing inflatable man. They can't catch both arms at the same time to cuff him, so eventually one policeman is cuffed to one of the man's hands and thus has his arm flung every which way as the man continues to move. I have no idea what they've been tried with, if they were on drugs or had a movement disorder, or when the court hearing is, but as a key witness, I will be told when they need me in court. But I would happily go the rest of my life without hearing a kid scream at 2am and seeing those weird moving creeps again. I was a new manager of a very old building. I came from social work and was hired to manage a building that was about to celebrate its 100th anniversary. My office was in the basement, along with several below-ground apartments. Of these apartments was an elderly fellow. He would get medication and food delivered every other week, so when it wasn't brought in, I rang him, and when I got no answer, I asked the police for a welfare check. This was a very warm June, and the way the building was constructed, you couldn't smell something wafting out of an apartment unless the door was opened and allowed the smell out. Once the police opened the door, everyone knew that he had been dead for a while. The smell permeated everything. The smell of rotten human got into the air ducts, and it's not something you forget. Fast forward one month to July. There are 105 tenants in this four-story building, and I get a call from one tenant's niece that she hadn't heard from her uncle in a while, and could we please go check on him? Of course, I knew this guy. I'll just pop up and make sure he's okay, and we'll have a laugh. No answer. I call the police for a welfare check. It's been a regular 85 degrees outside for a few weeks, and yes, he's passed away. The smell smell of a dead human is so much different than the smell of a dead animal. It's a sticky sweet smell combined with an acrid taste and a heavy, I don't know how to describe it, dead meat mushroom sort of smell. It doesn't smell like other rotten meat. The smell was so bad in the hallway just from opening the door for a few minutes to take the body out, that I had entire families running from the building in tears. I knew I had to mitigate this crap. I knew he passed on a small carpet in the middle of the room, so I put some menthol under my nostrils, double-gloved, wrapped my pant legs, and pulled up the carpet that was pretty thick with tissue. I had told the coroner what I was going to do before I did it. I double-bagged his carpet and opened the windows. It's still rough to think about. It involved large fans and me staying up all night. Cut to one month later. I'm putting notices on doors for an upcoming bed bug inspection. I smell that smell on the fourth floor. That acrid dead smell. Someone was dead. There's no mistaking it. I start knocking on doors and only one out of 25 answer because it was the middle of the day, I can't just go into the apartments, I call the police and they come out and confirm, it's definitely another dead body, but they can't figure out where it's coming from, I literally stood there trying to figure out if a dead body constituted an emergency, so I could circumvent the 48 hour rule of entering an apartment, The police told me that without something else, they couldn't just start running into apartments. We walked up and down the halls and could not figure out where the smell of the dead body was coming from. I went to my office to print up 48 hour notices of intent to enter. I laid in bed that night and started thinking about it. The smell of dead body only entered the hallway when the door was opened. Someone had the smell of a dead body and opened a door. Someone opened a door. The day of, I go apartment to apartment, 10 apartments in, and a white haired middle aged guy answers the door. Huge wafts of bleach belch out of his apartment. Instead of hanging out like most people would do when someone is inspecting your apartment, he takes off. The floor has been bleached. The kitchen has been bleached. Everything is spotless. Neighbors later said that he told people that it was just chicken that went bad. Chicken does not smell like human. I contacted the non-emergency line that day, and without anything else to go on there, there wasn't a lot they could do. I have no idea what happened in that apartment, and the man, I never saw him again. Just to be clear, this story happened in the 1980s to my aunt, and I am telling the story for her, writing it as she speaks about it. This happened to me a long time ago when I was just a young girl. It was around Halloween, and so around the time of the year, my parents usually threw parties and such in the basement of our house. It was a good time for my family to catch up on each other's lives and to have fun and relax. I enjoyed these parties a lot, because I got to hang out with my cousins, since I didn't have siblings, and so this was the only time I got to hang out with kids my age, excluding when I was at school, so I looked forward to these parties that my parents had. One night, during around the time of Halloween, my family had a party in the house. The house had two floors, first floor kitchen, living room, bathroom, etc. Second floor, all of the bedrooms. Then, there was a large basement where the party was. I guess the basement made the party spookier, it being Halloween and all, and the basement being dark and kind of grungy. My parents would usually make me and my cousin stay in the room while the elders partied in the basement. They checked up on us around every hour to make sure we were alright. I know this is kind of irresponsible of them, but luckily, we were always okay. Now, my mother made me in charge of my cousins since I was the eldest of about five or six of us. I was told to never go into the basement where the parties were held and to never let any of my cousins go down there either. She told me that we would be in big trouble if we were to ever go down there and that we should never unless it was an absolute emergency. I listened to my mother and agreed I would never go into the basement as curious as me and my cousins were. We never did, of course, because we didn't want to get in trouble, and we actually enjoyed our kid time alone with each other, and had a blast without the adults being around. We pretty much got to do whatever we wanted, such as climb the bunk beds, jump off the dressers, you know, stuff an adult wouldn't let a kid normally do. Dangerous stuff. Well, one night... While the yearly Halloween adult party was going on in the basement, me and my cousins were entertaining ourselves with a cool game that one of my younger cousins had just invented, called Military. My younger cousin Jose's father was in the military, and so he admired him, I guess, and heard some cool things about his father's daily duties in the military, such as instructing his soldiers on what to do. So that's what we did. My cousin Jose was the sergeant in the imaginary game as he assigned us all a role in the military. I was assigned to be a military spy, which was an important job, according to him. Jose assigned me to go spy on the adults. This was a dangerous mission. Well, at least that's what he thought. But I guess it was dangerous because we could get in a ton of trouble if we got caught. Now that I look back on it, I should have just said no to the whole situation, but at the time I was taking my spy duty very seriously and got caught up in the game and my imagination to really care about the consequences if I were to be caught by the adults. So I did as Jose said and decided I was going to go spy on the adults. My exact mission was to leave the bedroom, go down the stairs to the first floor, then look around to see if any of the adults were lingering and if not, I was to descend into the basement and spy on the adults through a peephole in the door of the basement. Now, I was ready to go. First, I left the bedroom. I was quite small and quiet. I think maybe that's why Jose assigned me the spy job, because naturally, I was small and quiet compared to my cousins, who were not much younger than me. I bid farewell to my cousins who gave me a military salute and left the bedroom as they all watched. I slowly walked down the hallway to the staircase and saw no adults. I was tiptoeing and being as quiet as I could ever possibly be. I decided to take a look behind me at the bedroom I left and saw all of my younger cousins peering at me through a crack in the door, giggling and smiling as I slowly crept down the staircase onto the main floor of the house. I heard and saw no one. It was quite dark, with only one kitchen light glowing. I could only hear the thumping of music, bass, jamming from the basement. It was my family's favorite salsa type music that every one of the adults in my family liked to dance to. I heard distant laughter and conversations coming from the basement. Now I think I should let you know whoever might be listening to this, that my family's religious beliefs were based on Catholicism and something called Santeria, which is basically some Catholicism mixed with rituals or voodoo, etc. Well, my mother and father didn't practice this a lot, not that I know of, but certain specific members of my family did, heavily, such as my grandparents and my favorite aunt Nilda. Possibly my parents practiced it only when I wasn't around or something. It's just important for you to know this, as it might give some explanation for what I witnessed in the basement. The only way to get to the basement was through a door in the kitchen, so I tiptoed my way over to the door and slowly opened it. It led down some steps to another door, which was where the elders were partying. The stairway was dark so I kind of felt along the walls to guide me to the bright white door to the basement. I was having second thoughts at this point, because I felt like one of the elders might come out at any moment to check on us, or maybe use the bathroom or something. But luckily for me, no one did. So at this point, I quickly wanted to spy on my parents and just get out of there as soon as I could, just to have something to report back to the troops, since they were all counting on me. I finally peeked into the door and saw all the elders dancing to salsa music, laughing, drinking, conversing, etc. as I thought I might see. I felt like that was enough to report back to Jose and the rest of my group as it was satisfying to our longing curiosity of what went on in the basement. I spied for a few seconds and all of a sudden the music stopped. I froze, thinking my parents or someone might have heard me and stopped the music knowing that I was there. I wanted to run upstairs, but all of a sudden, music started up again. Only this time, the music was slow, or not even really music, just chanting, and a voice of a man shouting words as people repeated after him. As this music was playing, all of the elders in my family formed a large circle. The chanting continued now, with my parents and elders chiming in as well. I felt kind of hypnotized and stricken with fear, and did not want to move, frozen in fear. I also did not want to cry out, because I didn't want to get into trouble, so I kept watching as the chanting continued, my favorite aunt, Nilda, entered the circle, then Some weird flute-sounding music started to play over the man shouting and chanting with people repeating after him, as well as my family, my aunts, parents, grandparents, etc. My Aunt Nilda began to sway her body around with her long, wavy, dark hair, falling all around her, covering some of her face as she closed her eyes with a relaxed but serious expression. She continued to sway around, and slowly before my eyes, I saw her body starting to deform. Now I thought my eyes were playing tricks on me at this time. I wanted to scream, but out of pure fear, I held it together as I screamed inside. I wasn't sure what I was witnessing. My aunt's limbs bent in positions that were not humanly possible. Her back and head twisted, and that's when I finally mustered up the courage to bolt out of there as quietly as I could. The only thing I could compare her look to still to this day was a crab, but limbs bent opposite direction and her head in a very odd position. I ran up the basement stairs, fearing something chased behind me. I was paranoid and probably made some noise. I made it to the first floor, and bolted past the kitchen, living room, etc. to the second set of stairs, and ran my way up to the bedroom. I got into the bedroom and told the entire story to Jose and all of my other cousins, while panting and out of breath, but I did not cry, because once I got back to my room, I felt safe again for some reason. I'm not sure if they took me seriously, or just thought I was making the story up to make our game more interesting at the time. But now that we are older, they do believe me, and also have told me of some weird things they witnessed while growing up. Anyway, after that we continued the game. To be honest, I didn't think about what I had witnessed that much after that. I guess maybe I was too young, or didn't fully grasp or understand what I saw exactly. At one point when I was older, I thought maybe my imagination had got the best of me. But needless to say, I never spied on the adults after that night, ever again. I also never messed with the religion Santeria, and was quite lucky my parents didn't much either after that, besides a few candles here and there, with saints who appeared on them. My parents only threw the Halloween parties a few more times after that, until we moved to Florida, unfortunately away from most of my family. It wasn't purposely just my mom had always wanted to get away from New York's cold winters. I still love my aunt Nilda even after seeing her after the event. She's still a very sweet and nice lady. Only sometimes I do think about her in that crab position. I have always wanted to share this, but could never find the right place. For reference, at the time this all began, I was 14 and a freshman in high school, back in 2008-2009, so not recent. It all began during the first couple of weeks of school. I went to this school district all my life, and never had any real issues, since I had no enemies and only friends. It all began one Friday afternoon after school. I was hanging out with friends outside of the school until my mom came to pick me up when I decided to go upstairs to my locker and put a textbook away that I was originally going to bring home for the weekend. When I got up to my locker, there was a note taped onto it. My name was written on it with a heart around it and it read, Your Secret Admirer. Thinking it was a friend playing a prank, I laughed it off and tossed it in the trash. When I confronted them downstairs, they denied that they put the note on my locker and insisted that it was probably from a boy. I didn't know what to think, but I did think of a few cute guys I went to school with and hoped it was one of them. But I sighed and thought that it could have been anyone and most likely not one of the boys I hoped it was two months go by. During this time we had school picture day and my mom had ordered some which were eventually given to us during one of our classes. I kept them in my locker so I wouldn't lose them. It was a Friday and I was going to stay after school with friends again and hang around until the high school football game was over later in the evening. I waited until about two hours after school ended or so to grab my belongings out of my locker including the photos. I put them in my backpack and headed on outside and hung out around the football field with my friends until people started showing up for the game to which we walked around or sat in the grass and talked the rest of the evening. When I got home that night I gave my mom the photos and she noticed that one of the wallet sized photos had been cut off from the rest. I never bothered to look at all of them so I wasn't aware of this. I told her I didn't cut one off, but she didn't believe me. I didn't know what to think of it. A few weeks go by, and I all but forgot about this missing photo. I found another note taped to my locker, and this time, one of my school photos was in it with a heart drawn around my head. A wallet-sized photo. The note made mention of how Beautiful, I looked during the game, sitting with my friends in the grass, talking and laughing. This made me uncomfortable. Whoever's doing this had stolen one of my photos either out of my locker during school, which means they would have my lock combination on that Friday, or while I left my backpack unattended during the football game. Once again, it was probably one of my friends playing a prank on me, and I didn't say anything about it. It had been several months since the last note. Things took a rather stressful turn the following week. I was at home after school one day alone, while my mom was working a double shift, when someone came knocking on my front door. Thinking it was a pesky neighbor, I took my sweet time to answer it, and opened the door to find nobody there. I looked around and saw nothing but other mobile homes and neighbors' cars. I shut the door and resumed what I was doing. I heard the knocking again about ten minutes later. I took my time again to answer it and found Mike, one of our only friendly male neighbors, there with his Boston Terrier on a leash. He asked me if I had somebody over, which I didn't. He then told me, that he saw somebody snooping around my house a few minutes ago. I felt very uncomfortable and said that I didn't have anyone over and asked who it was, and he said that he didn't recognize him. I thanked him and locked all my doors and windows after he left. The next month was full of incidents where our motion sensor backlight would come on in the evening. At the time, I never would have imagined that the notes, the snooping around, was the work of someone who had actually been stalking me in the shadows for the last several months. But it all came into fruition the following day at school. I found the final note taped to my locker, and when I took it apart, I saw there was blood on it. I shrieked in terror as a teacher came running up to me to help. I showed him the note, and we immediately went to the office and showed the vice principal what we found. Later in the day, I was called into the office and found my mom there with the principal and vice-principal. It was there that I had to recount the events over the last couple of months for the first time to anyone and give the names of students that I think might have been responsible based on any suspicious interactions I had through social media or in school, but I never had anyone that seemed off to me. They told me that if anything were to happen again, to let them know, and they'll get the police involved if my life appears to be in danger. My mom had already contacted the state trooper who visited our home the previous night. From that day onward, nothing else major happened. However, about halfway through my junior year, I got another love letter. This time, it was typed out and signed, Your Secret Admirer. freshman year. I had all but forgotten about what had happened during my freshman year. I kept this note and gave it to the principal, who kept it as evidence in case things escalated again, but they never did. Luckily, nothing else happened afterwards. At least, nothing that was obvious to me. We were both 16 and 13, respectively. My sister and I were home alone while my parents were out of state for a couple of days to attend the funeral of a long-time family friend. Our grandfather lived only a couple of miles away and was originally supposed to babysit us, but he trusted my sister and I would be fine and he would be on call if anything were to go awry. Well, of course, something did just our luck. It was around 10 o'clock p.m. or somewhere close to that on this second night and I was upstairs in bed trying to sleep after a long day of biking around with a couple of friends. My sister suddenly came running up the stairs. She came into my room and was frantically talking to someone on the phone. I lay there in confusion while she talked. I don't remember exactly what was said, but when she hung up, She hugged me and told me that everything was alright, and that Grandpa was on his way. What had happened was that my sister was sitting outside on our stoop, talking to a friend of hers on the phone, when a pickup truck came rolling onto our driveway. My parents didn't own a pickup, so it immediately threw up a red flag. Once she saw a man get out carrying a duffel bag, that's when she came running inside and called our grandfather, My grandfather may have been 60 at the time, but he's no pushover, being 6'4", and having the strength of Godzilla with a demeanor to match when it comes to protecting his loved ones. We also lived in an area where the police would take a bit of time to reach, which is another reason why my sister called him and not the authorities, just in case anyone was wondering. Suddenly we hear what sounds like a door being kicked open downstairs. Almost immediately afterwards, we began barricading my bedroom door since none of the bedroom doors had locks on them at the time. Once we're done, she looks out the window while I sit there covering myself with my blanket. All the while, we hear footsteps downstairs on our hardwood kitchen floor. My sister then looked around the room and asked if I had a bat or something which I did, in my closet. I also had a hockey stick, but who would use that as a weapon unless a very circumstantial situation? She rummaged through the closet and found it, and then stood next to the door while I ducked down beside her, thinking maybe I should grab the hockey stick, but it's much less intimidating than a bat. Unless this burglar has some sort of PTSD associated with hockey, then it would be the ultimate weapon. We then hear the sound of a man yelling out in pain. My sister and I are standing by the door, almost sobbing, when about a minute later, we then hear my grandfather yell out our names, asking if we were alright, to which we both yelled out simultaneously that we were. My sister and I pulled the dresser and various other objects out of the way of my door, and we both went into the hallway. We heard my grandfather on the phone with 911 as we stood at the top of the stairs. When the police and ambulance arrived, the man, who had broken in, was taken out on a stretcher, to which I later learned was due to my grandfather. My grandfather had come in through the same back door and found the man in our kitchen, looking through our drawers. When he came at my grandfather with one of our kitchen knives, that's when my grandfather defended himself, and the man almost died from blood loss, but ended up surviving And I hope he has learned his lesson, both through being incarcerated and by being bested by a 60-year-old man, and almost losing his life. But of course, you never know with certain people, especially the nefarious ones. Last summer... My boyfriend and I went camping in some nature preserve in Pennsylvania. I can't remember the name. It was pretty primitive camping. No cell service, and we saw two other people there in the entire place. It was huge, so it was pretty empty. My boyfriend pretty much immediately said that these two people seemed off to him right away. I don't know if they had anything to do with what happened that night, but I'll describe them the first person was a woman who had her truck parked off the trail and the hood open. I don't really notice these types of things, but my boyfriend said it looked to him like she was waiting for someone to pull off beside her and offer to help with her truck. Normally my boyfriend is the type to at least offer to call someone, but he said she skeeved him out enough he didn't even want to draw her attention more than what was necessary. The next person we saw drove by several times while we were setting up. He just kept driving by slowly and looking at us. I didn't even notice though until my boyfriend pointed out that he had already done that twice. Whether these two people had anything sinister going on or not, the real story has to do with what woke us up at around 3 o'clock in the morning. It was incredibly loud and sudden I couldn't describe it or even compare it to anything. My boyfriend jumped up and looked out the little window of the tent. The sound happened again, again, and again, and it was getting noticeably closer each time. I was about to piss myself, but my boyfriend told me it was probably miles off. I didn't question this, because loud noises can be heard from miles off, right? Well, Later, my boyfriend told me he had told me that because he didn't want me to be scared. It really sounded like it was coming from right down the little dirt road. At one point, he said he suspected it was right in front of our campsite. The only reason he didn't tell me to get out and bolt for the car was because he was afraid it could be someone trying to scare us out of the tent for some dreadful reason. He whispered, I should have noticed he whispered, and I would have known something was off, since otherwise he would just speak normally, right? I heard outside that it sounded like someone sneaking up to the tent. Eventually, my boyfriend told me to get out and help him pack up. It was maybe 20 minutes after that sound stopped. He held our only weapon, a machete, in front of him. It was a full moon, or close to it so we didn't need light. We were packing quickly, and I noticed an empty beer can close to our dead campfire. It wasn't there when we went to sleep at around 10pm, and neither of us even brought any beer. Thankfully, we got out of there, and for the rest of that trip, we either camped in areas that were well populated by other campers, or we got a hotel room. This happened when I was four years old. My memory of the events are quite vivid, as this was the closest I had ever been to possibly dying. I was at the grocery store with my mom. While she was buying groceries, she left me outside to play on one of those pretend cars that you put a quarter in so it moves back and forth. We lived in a small town, so there was a feeling of trust in the community and my mom felt safe leaving me out there by myself. Four-year-old me was having the time of her life on that car. I didn't even take notice of the man standing nearby. A very skinny, rather short man. He was sporting a trench coat that nearly touched his feet. He looked like he was in his mid-thirties and was already starting to bald. Once the car ride stopped, the man walked up to me. I remember him kneeling down to me, letting out a wide grin, and asking, Hey, would you like another quarter, little lady? Sure, mister, I said. He smiled and placed the quarter in my hand. He held on to my hand for quite a while. I put the quarter back in the machine and went for another ride. He was watching me the entire time. My mom was taking longer than expected. The car ride was over again, so the man picked me up from the ride and stood me in front of him. You know, he said, I have a car myself, do you want to come for a ride with me? I remember being a little confused by the question, it's like I was starting to notice that something was a little off. Don't worry, he assured me, this ride is free of charge. He grinned. He held out his hand, and I stupidly accepted it. We started walking towards his car. It was this small, dented thing that hadn't been cleaned in years. When he opened his car door, it was accompanied by a high-pitched yell from behind me. My mom, along with a large security guard, were sprinting towards me. The man panicked Jumped in his car and drove off immediately. I was left in the parking space by myself. My mom grabbed and hugged me. I could feel her tears running down my shoulder. I heard the security guard on his walkie talkie requesting assistance. Unfortunately, they never found the man. Thinking back to that day 20 years ago really puts things into perspective. I was possibly 10 seconds away from being taken, forever, never to see my mom again, never to see the light of day again. The fact that this man might still be roaming the streets absolutely terrifies me. I hope no one else has ever gotten hurt because of him. If you are a parent, do not ever take your eyes off of your kids. Thank you.